0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, BuzzFeed media and politics reporter, Rosie Gray, And New York Times national political reporter,
1: Matt Flaggenheimer. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners, to my guests. Two New Yorkers this week. So glad to have y'all here. Matt Flaggenheimer, reporter at the New York Times, covering politics. And Rosie Gray, BuzzFeed reporter, covering politics. Uh, Thank y'all. First timers, both of you. Welcome. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks for having us
1: um i'm so glad y'all are here we are going to talk about the news and this week it's politics and democrats and some guy named michael bloomberg but before we get there i do want to ask you or talk with you both about the wackiest story i saw this week total wackiest story uh did you see the thing about bone thugs and harmony
2: oh that they're changing their name or something right
1: yes bone thugs and harmony what's the new name Oh, tell them.
2: <laughs> well, I can't even remember. This, like, went by on Twitter. But it's, like, they, like they're like just, like, repeating words in the name, right? Yeah.
1: They're changing their name. Well, first, just to make sure everyone knows who Bone thugs and harmony is, let's hit a bit of their biggest song, uh, Crossroads. This is, what, early 90s, mid-90s? It classic, feels like a ninety three ninety four, right? Yeah, the video where they're all going going to heaven and stuff. <laughs> Anyways, Bone Thugs and Harmony, classic rap group, is changing its name to Boneless Thugs and Harmony uh, because of a partnership with Buffalo Wild Wings to promote Buffalo Wild Wings Boneless Wings. Does that make you sad? That does make me sad. That does make me sad. But music. I guess like
2: the buried lead here is that Bone Thugs and Harmony is still
1: yeah <laughs> it's like who knew <laughs> well also yeah. it's like if you see a group as old as bone duck and harmony trending your first thought is like did they die did right. somebody die turns out this a nice case scenario. but like they are totally honest about what's going on they said uh a marketing company approached us and we took the check and they went all in on it they actually filmed this short mockumentary about Boneless wings and the group—it is so weird. We have tape of that as well.
0: A new love for boneless wings led to a new name. We need to be boneless thugs now. Bottom line, but I'm not gonna lie, but I like boneless wings, man. Whatever it is, what it is, boneless wings. What? Not <laughs> everyone. It's so
2: sad. That's depressing. That's pretty right. Bleak. Yeah, everything's just advertising basically now, marketing.
1: Who was still sacred? Who was still free of all this? Mm-hmm. Meryl Streep.
2: Yeah.
3: I feel like Meryl Streep wouldn't give it all up for like a Doritos campaign.
2: No, I hope not. And if that ever happened, I just don't know what I'd do.
1: Um, Speaking of all the things money can buy, let's pivot to Michael Bloomberg. Uh, What a transition. I I was very proud of that one. (laughs) Thank you for noticing. (laughs) Michael Bloomberg, billionaire, former mayor of New York City, is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to run for president as a Democrat, even though he skipped the first several Democratic contests in Iowa and New Hampshire and also Saturday's caucus in Nevada. Both of my panelists have covered Bloomberg extensively. So we're going to talk about his rise, his money, what it means for our politics. Uh, they both have three words to, to sum up their week of Bloomberg news. Rosie, you're up first.
2: So my three words are going to be money isn't everything. Okay. And I'm going with that because, like you said, Mike Bloomberg has spent an enormous amount of money so far. On what his is it now? Oh, he spent over $400 million. I think
3: it's north of $400. Yeah. Wow.
2: Um, And it's really, it's unprecedented for for a campaign in this stage.
3: Accelerating. Right.
2: So, so, you know, so he spent this enormous amount of money, and it worked up to a point. Improved his polling numbers. He was able to, like, really raise his visibility in these states that he's going to be competing in on Super Tuesday um, through this enormous advertising campaign. But we saw the downside of this on the debate stage this week. Yeah.
1: Let's just stop a second and talk about how not good his performance in that debate was. It seems like from the start, everyone came out, knives out for Bloomberg, especially Warren, Senator from Massachusetts. She probably hit him the hardest. There's some tape of this moment from the debate on MSNBC where the audience... Literally gasped at what she said.
0: I'd like to talk about who we're running against a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. Democrats.
1: Like, are not going shots fired. To win. Shots landed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rosie, I mean, like, so you've seen this man spend all this money, and for a while it seemed to be working. But my question is, do debates really change things? We saw for months Joe Biden not do well in debates and still top the polls, right?
2: Well, I think we don't know yet how much okay. this changed things for Mike Bloomberg. Um mm-hmm. but a lot of people watched that debate and I you know he, his his performance was you know even his own campaign team was unable to, like, really spin it. I
3: feel like when the spin is that hour two wasn't that bad, you didn't have a great debate. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
2: exactly. Right. And so and so they, you know, they're acknowledging that it was a pretty bad performance. Um, That said, Bloomberg has a big advantage over other candidates who might at some point have a bad debate, which is that he has unlimited money to try to keep defining himself in voters minds you know, not dependent on things like debates.
1: Well, and it seems like the only thing that he can really do quite well right now are the ads. You were on the trail with him, Rosie. He is not the kind of politician who loves to shake the hands and do the long, emotional stump speech, right?
2: That's right. He doesn't do a lot of retail politics. You know, he doesn't Hmm. do a lot of like stopping in coffee shops, shaking people's hands, like just sort of like connecting with people you know, on a personal level. His events are very, they're very lavish. You know, he has catered food. They tend to be pretty large and they're pretty efficient. You know, he comes in, he does his stump speech, which is a pretty short stump speech for a politician. It's about 15 minutes or less long. And then he shakes a few hands on the way out and leaves.
1: Yeah. Well, and Matt, it seems as if this is the way he's arranged his life. You know, when he was mayor of New York City, he didn't really have too much competition. Uh, He gave a lot of money to a lot of folks that might have been mad at him and it made them not mad at him. Has he ever faced something before that would give him this much to respond to and this much challenge and this much questioning about who he is?
3: No, I mean, look, when you're a 78-year-old billionaire who has run In three local elections against run-of-the-mill Democratic candidates, you're not used to being told what to do. You're not used to being uh, thrown into situations you're not comfortable in. And I think to Rosie's point, he has not exposed himself very often in this campaign or in the years prior to unscripted interactions for an extended period with with voters, with critics. Um, The sort of circuit work that all the other candidates have been doing for almost a year, in a lot of cases, over a year, in a couple of cases – is not the sort
1: of thing that he's been getting better at, and he wasn't that good to begin with. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Rosie Gray, reporter at BuzzFeed, covering media and politics, and Matt Flagenheimer, reporter for The New York Times, covering national politics. Matt, I want to give you a chance to share your three words on Bloomberg as someone who covered him back in the day when he was mayor. Sure.
3: Um, I think it it pivots off Rosie's to some degree, but it's the sort of Bloomberg industrial complex are the three words. And the question (laughs) how... To Rosie's point as well is that he has to see if the sort of campaign of Bloomberg can overpower the person of Bloomberg that we Mm -hmm. saw on the debate stage. It's this question of whether the death star, as Rosie called it in a story recently, of the Bloomberg campaign, the staff, the ad spending, the sort of flood the zone quality that they've tried to project um, can outweigh the very clear deficits of charisma and the sort of liabilities that we saw exposed on stage on Wednesday night.
1: Yeah. You know, we played a clip of Warren from this week's debate uh, going after uh, Mike Bloomberg. But we have seen Warren's candidacy, especially after Iowa, get a lot less coverage, even as she is performing better than most others in things like debates. Do we have any idea about what's going on with her team right now and, and, and her her? Her status.
3: I do think the Bloomberg inclusion in this last debate has sort of injected the Warren campaign with more energy and and vitality in these last several days. Um, having this sort of perfect billionaire foil to play off of has really played to the strengths of her campaign and the message that she had to begin with. But she's really changed up her approach. Um, obviously, she was much more willing to confront not just Bloomberg, but Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete. Um, so I do think that has been a, a shift from them, and they certainly feel good about how it's gone so far.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it is also really weird to me to look at twenty twenty compared to sixteen and see the gradual demise of the strength of the two party system. You know, Trump in sixteen was the least favored candidate of the you know GOP elite. He still swept it, and now Sanders and Bloomberg. Come not at all from the Democratic Party elite. Like, are we seeing here just uh, the slow demise of the party system as we know it? And 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 does Bloomberg and Sanders and Trump indicate that this process will be changing for good?
2: I mean, I did you know, I, I, the ascendancy of Sanders and of Bloomberg definitely shows sort of how weak these party establishments have become. Yeah. But the dynamics surrounding Bernie Sanders is status as the frontrunner really reminds me a lot of the dynamics in the 2016 um, Mm. Republican primary, where, you know, it was pretty clear pretty early on that Donald Trump was like the prohibitive frontrunner.
1: Yeah. Um, But no one wanted to accept that. (laughs) Nobody
2: wanted to accept that. And there were all these like desperate, scrabbling attempts to like figure out who the non-Trump alternative would be. There was talk of a brokered convention, all that stuff. And we're sort of we're seeing that now where, you know, Bernie Sanders you know, pretty clearly the front runner at this point, but the Bloomberg campaign is in some ways a sort of like express it's just by Bloomberg himself being not technically part of like the democratic establishment. Mm-hmm. It's this attempt to sort of like not face up to the reality that it's probably going to be Sanders and try to find some sort of like mm-hmm. centrist moderate alternative.
1: Yeah. It very much feels like Ted Cruz's last gasp, you know, Ted Cruz stayed in that race <laughs> so long in-, in 16 saying like, oh, uh, I'm your only alternative to Trump. We got to try to get me in, and then that didn't work, you know? Like, well, it's funny you should
2: mention Cruz because that, that's a great, Matt great happiness. Because yeah. we covered the Ted Cruz campaign yeah. together last time. It's really? all,
3: all great friendships begin
1: uh, in Iowa covering Ted Cruz. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Were y'all in Indianapolis when he dropped out? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we right? I was there, too. Wasn't it the Wait, really? night? Yes. sad night? A sad night. <laughs> remember when in, they in announced that, it? Like, And everyone began in, in to the, weep. There was weeping. Yes. Yeah. In the old train station. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, there was just weeping for, like, 45 minutes. And then people began to drink again. And then, if you recall, before the night was done, randomly, they all began to sing in unison the national anthem. Remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. I you remember that.
1: It oh, I forgot about that, but yes. Do you remember
3: night. six days before that when he named Carly Fiorina his running mate? Yeah. Cruz Fiorina like,
1: 2016. <laughs> Cruz Arena. A bold move. <laughs> bold Speaking move. of weird stuff, before we leave the topic of Bloomberg, I want to talk about how strange and sometimes cringy his advertisements and memes and social media outreach is. You know, he there's been a lot of reports on how he's trying to By youth influence. You know, he's buying ads on Instagram. He's giving influencers money to promote content about him. What has been the weirdest, cringiest Bloomberg content y'all have seen so far? I have a lot of examples. This wasn't necessarily... One of
3: the memes that they tried to make happen, but sort of organically, when he shook the dog's face, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, he was trying to <laughs> yes. pet a dog and sort of landed on the side of the dog's mouth and just. But well, he was shook. shaking
1: hands before. He was shaking he hands before.
3: Got to the dog, shook the face.
1: I will say weirdest Bloomberg campaign content: the one where his campaign posted his face superimposed into Italian meatballs. That is a thing that happened. I yes, that's I remember that. I that was very that.
2: weird. It was because it was during a debate, and he like wasn't a, on the stage. That's yes, looking at the wow. yeah, that's that's the, the, it. There it is. There, there
1: there's the stage. Marinera, okay. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Bloom Oh my goodness! All right. On that note, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about a potential 2020 campaign issue. Guns and gun violence. We speak with the teenager from East Oakland who says she sees gun violence around her all the time. A shooting here, a shooting there, a constant reality. And she told me that none of the candidates for president right now are speaking to that issue for her. What about
4: safety? You know, what about the people that have to be scared to walk outside every
1: day? After the break, she'll tell us what she would say to them if she had their ear. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Chobani Oat, made to taste just like milk. It's creamy, frothy, and great with coffee and cookies. But without the dairy, because it's not milk, it's almost milk. New Chobani Oat.
5: Support also comes from The Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury consignments. Shop luxury clothing, accessories, and fine art at unreal prices from your favorite designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Cartier, and hundreds more. And the Real Reels team of authenticators from around the globe ensure every item is authenticated daily. Shop in-store, on the app, or at therealreal.com and receive 20% off select items with promo code REAL.
1: Astrology is as old as civilization itself. And today, it's easier to access than ever before thanks to the internet and smartphones.
4: This week on Throughline how astrology almost went extinct and made a remarkable comeback.
1: Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time
4: to understand the present.
1: We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined by two guests, Rosie Gray. She covers media and politics at BuzzFeed, and Matt Flagenheimer, who covers politics for The New York Times. So we've talked about the debate in Vegas this week. What surprised the both of you in terms of what wasn't talked about?
2: Well, given the setting of Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. uh, where one of the worst mass shootings in history happened. I was a little bit surprised that none of them were asked about gun violence.
1: Yeah, it was really strange because, you know, in the aftermath of Parkland, it seemed to be like a mass movement organizing itself among young people in this country to make this an issue that everyone had to pay attention to. And then if I recall correctly, gun control got one mention towards the end of the debate in Joe Biden's closing remarks. That felt weird. So, striking. right? Yeah. It, well, yeah.
3: And, and, and the fact that it was the first debate for Bloomberg, and that's been a major plank of his philanthropy and a major part of his ad campaign since he's gotten yeah. into the race
1: is, yeah. is gun control spending. And it seemed like an area where they would certainly spend some time. Yeah. Well, he founded what's now the leading uh, nonprofit on this issue, Every Town for Gun Safety, right? That's him. That's mm-hmm. his money. Mm-hmm. That's Bloomberg. Yeah. Anyway, so on this show, we marked the one year anniversary of Parkland uh, with the show all about uh, teens who experience gun violence that might not get the same level of coverage. Teens uh, from places where there's low-level gun violence sometimes every day. We spoke with teens in East Oakland, California, who experience gun violence like that. A slow burn, a shooting here, a shooting there. And it's been a year since those conversations, and I wanted to check in with one of them.
4: This is Ajane.
1: Hey, how are you?
4: I'm good. How are you? Pretty good.
1: Pretty good. When we talked last year, Ajane Cooper was a senior at Castlemont High School. She has since graduated. She is now working and also taking classes at Sacramento State University. What are you studying?
4: Nursing.
1: You'll always have a job. People will always need a nurse.
4: <laughs> yes.
1: So Ajane joined us from Youth Radio in Oakland, and she told me that the danger of living in East Oakland and the constant fear of being shot, it is still there for her.
4: Living In Oakland, is pretty scary. You know, you got to watch your back everywhere you go because um, you might not be the target, but you might end up just getting hit in the crossfire.
1: So actually, in that episode we did a year ago, Ajane, I went back with you to the scene of a gun crime that was literally less than a block away from your high school campus. I want to play it now. Uh, This was the exact spot where one of your anti-gun violence counselors you worked with was shot
4: this my favorite person in the world. He got shot. Like I said, nobody knows what we go through until they're walking in our shoes. So,
1: When you're here now, where this shooting went down, what do you feel now on this street, on this block?
4: I mean, I don't really feel anything. Like, like, like we were saying earlier, we get numb.
1: How does it feel hearing that back?
4: It feels the same, basically. You still feel numb, you think? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's East Oakland. It's not ever going to be peaceful. It's always problems with anybody like it could be so simple, you know, and it could turn into something big Mm -hmm. and escalate to something that it didn't need to escalate to.
1: Mm. Yeah. If you had to think back on your four years at Castlemont, how many people that you knew were caught up in something gun violence related?
4: Um actually a few people um I know probably at least 5 people who had some involvement with gunfights. I know one person that got shot at a um a party. Um I know someone who were going to fight someone but they ended up not fighting them because you know they had a gun and you know it was a lot of situations where I had to just remove myself because Mm. I did not want to be a part of that.
1: Yeah. When we talked, we ran that episode with you uh, just about a year after the Parkland shooting uh, Mm -hmm. in Florida. And one of the things we talked about was how shootings like that, you know, a big mass shooting at a relatively affluent high school gets a ton of coverage but violence uh, like you experienced at Castlemont. You know, a shooting here, a shooting there, more of a slow burn of this violence. In a poor place, in a place that's more black and brown, that gets less coverage. In the year since right. we first talked, do you think that's changed at all?
4: Definitely not. I do not think that changed at all. It's definitely still the same. Just beginning of 2020, I've lost a couple of friends already. You know, what know, What mean really, you lost uh, a couple of
1: friends? They passed away?
4: Yeah. Um,
1: Was it through gun violence?
4: Yes, not too long ago, um, a friend of mine I've known him since like middle school, he was shot. It was pretty sad because, you know, you might not expect that person to, you know, just get shot all of a sudden. That's why I said, like, you really don't know what could happen at any time. So you really have to just keep your guard up mm. because it could be you next, mm. you know?
1: What do you think would need to change for America to start paying more attention? to the kind of regular violence that you see in places like East Oakland?
4: Well, I think, for one, everyone as a community needs to start coming together and speaking up about how they feel, and you know. And I feel like people need to stop being afraid to use their voice because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I, you know, it's, it's no point. You know, they're not going to help us. They're not going to do anything. Well, how do you know that, you know, you haven't tried? I feel like if a community worked together, then I feel like other people would start paying attention more because if they see that, you know, people are in our own town are not even worried about what's really going on. Of course, they're not going to be worried because we're not we're not mm-hmm. as worried.
1: Mm. You know, this is an election year, twenty twenty. Do you think the candidates for president are talking about gun violence enough or at all?
4: <laughs> Definitely not. I feel like. <laughs> They're more worried about winning the race instead of actually trying to fix things that's actually going on in the country. Like, they stay talking about, like, health care and et cetera, money, 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 this. But what about safety? You know, what about the people that have to be scared to walk outside every day or, you know, take their kids to the park or even go to school?
1: Mm -hmm. What are you going to be doing this year, this election year, in terms of raising this issue?
4: Well, I am gonna be voting, first off. (laughs) Okay. Because I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Oh yeah,
1: how old are you now?
4: I'm eighteen now.
1: (gasps) It's gonna be your first election. Are you excited?
4: Yes, I am. Because, you know, people be like, your vote doesn't matter and I'm like, Yes it does. My vote (laughs) does matter. (laughs) Yes it does. Like I want to believe it does. So And you should I'm gonna vote. Yeah. I basically wanna teach other people about gun violence and what they can do to prevent something like that from happening. Because when I was at Teens on Target, you know, this I got all This is a group that, that worked on that issue. Right, okay. exactly. So I already know, you know, the definitions of things and, you know, how to explain stuff. So I feel like I just need to educate more people. And if I educate more people, I feel like they're going to want to learn more and try to, you know, tell other people.
1: And Yeah. If you could talk to the candidates for president, In terms of making gun violence be a thing that they care about and think about and talk about, what would be the first thing you'd say to them?
4: There are people like us in Oakland who have to worry about our everyday lives and worry about if, you know, the government is ever going to care or step up to do anything.
1: What do you think they'd do if they heard you say that to them right now?
4: Um, I feel like they would have a lot of excuses. (laughs) You know they'll be like oh we'll try to do this we're gonna you know they're gonna try to petition for things but it's like that's nothing you know like what are you gonna do to prove to me that i'm gonna be able to trust you to make things better for us
1: Ajane, i am so honored to get to talk with you again and i am so excited um for your journey forward going to school voting for the first time this year i am uh rooting for you and i thank you so much for your time
4: Thank you,
1: thank you. Thanks again to Ajane Cooper. Uh, we should note, listeners, as we began taping this conversation this past Tuesday, there was another shooting near Castlemont High School. While Ajane was in the studio with me, a uh, 17-year-old boy was shot from a stray bullet, most likely. Um, it is really, really interesting to hear that conversation and how much this issue was top of mind for someone like Ajane, uh, and then not hear these candidates talk about it. It just seems strange, huh?
2: I mean, this is something that's like really affecting people on a day to day basis. And it seems like politicians only really pay attention to it, you know, for five minutes after every mass shooting.
3: Yeah. I mean, the, totally. the, the most interesting sort of political moment in this debate in 2020 was after the El Paso massacre. Um, yeah. When O'Rourke was still a candidate. He did sort of make a pretty hard pivot which was a not small thing politically in Texas, um, towards very aggressive gun proposals that immediately sort of drew condemnation from Republicans and and certainly some Democrats in the field were trying to distance themselves from any suggestion that they were favoring sort of door-to-door gun
1: confiscation. But yeah, because he said at one point, hell yeah, I want to take your AK-47. Hell yeah. He said some other words too, I think, of the four letter variety, but (laughs) um,
2: Matt is a New York Timesman, so he can't (laughs) say
3: those. I'm, I'm not even sure what they are.
1: All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game. Who said that? BRB.
5: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Best Fiends, the puzzle game with thousands of unique puzzle levels to beat and tons of cute characters to collect. Help these cute and courageous characters through new levels that update monthly. And play anytime and anywhere. No internet required. Best Fiends is the 5-star rated puzzle game that engages your brain with fun challenges and an engaging story. Download free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search.
1: I'm Peter Sagal. Sure, you're enjoying this NPR podcast
5: filled with important and useful information, but is it the most important and useful information?
3: Like this, the museum actually went and made a synthetic version of dinosaur
1: breath. It's Axe body spray, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, don't tell me. From NPR, listen now and share with your friends. Hey, Southern California listeners, I have some very exciting news. We're having a live show on Friday morning march 27th we're taping our usual weekly wrap on that friday morning but we're going to do it at npr west studios in front of a live studio audience join me and uh, some special guests and also hear your voice on the show get your tickets now before it's too late nprpresents.org okay back to the conversation We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined by Rosie Gray, reporter at BuzzFeed, covering media and politics, and Matt Flagenheimer, reporter at the New York Times, covering national politics. It's time for a game. My favorite game Who Said that?
2: That?
1: Y'all don't sound too excited.
2: No, I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) It's going
1: to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. This game is delightful because it's so low stakes. The winner gets nothing. The loser gets nothing. We'll all hug it out at the end. Uh, I'll share a quote from the week. Three quotes. You got to guess who said that or get a keyword. Guess what I'm talking about. I'm no stickler. You ready?
2: I'm ready. Let's
1: do it. Who studied the most?
2: Studied the most what?
1: I know you can't study for this it was a trick
4: question okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I get it first quote just tell me what we're talking about the quote is they need to make one that smells like their fries hmm. this was a line of merch rolled out this week around a certain oh, fast food oh oh McDonald's company. candles yes
4: <laughs> McDonald's <laughs> candles
3: <laughs> there, there
1: are McDonald's candles? Yeah. dude yes people are
3: paying money for McDonald's candles
1: in their homes? not me But somebody, maybe? So that tweet actually comes from Twitter user Ali C. Michelle, and she was riffing on uh, these new McDonald's limited edition candles that smell like components of a quarter pounder. Uh, McDonald's says in their press release, there's no better smell than 100% fresh beef and a perfect combination of (laughs) toppings. But the candles are like, one smells like mustard, one smells like ketchup, one smells like the beef patty.
2: I mean, like, I just don't want my home to smell like a beef patty. Is that so wrong?
1: (laughs) I I feel like the breakfast smells are more defensible. I would take a McMuffin candle. Like a McMuffin and a hash brown smell? Yeah, like a
2: sort of maple syrupy type smell would be okay, I guess.
1: Is this better or worse than Popeye's line of clothing?
2: I guess worse because the candles, I just feel like that's kind of like an aggressive intrusion into your space. Whereas, like, if (laughs) somebody's wearing a Popeye's t-shirt, it's like, okay, whatever. The the
1: shirt only affects the person wearing it. Right. Yeah, true, true. Uh, All right, uh, Rosa, you got that one. Yay. Yay. Uh, next quote: I was happy when I saw my dance all over, but I wanted credit for it. Oh, this that? was a th- there was a New York Times story. I'm I'm going
3: to screw up all the details of it. There was this this teenage girl who who went viral. Rosie's going to be up to nothing.
1: I'm in trouble. <laughs> you got <laughs> this it. This is the
2: renegade. This is the viral renegade. I got no dance. details. <laughs> so I
1: get oh. for saying no details. <laughs> can I can I give you both half a point? I yes. maybe. Okay, um, all right. So that quote comes from 14-year-old Jalea Harmon. Um, she's been in the news recently because she created months ago the biggest viral dance craze of the moment. It's called The Renegade. Hit the song. Do y'all know it?
2: Renegade, renegade. I do, yes. Stop it.
1: Do it. Please. No, no, I
2: don't know the dance. I know Oh,
1: okay. I was yeah. waiting for the movie. I've seen the
2: dance. I could probably do like an approximation of the dance okay. if I had to, arm, but it would be very, it's like, of, it's like mm, this mm. thing where they're like this, and then there's just like this the okay. arm thing. Oh,
1: so you do know it. No, Rosie knows
3: it. That no I that's how, that's how like it was it.
1: <laughs> Anyways, this dance is all over the young internet, namely TikTok. And these big TikTok influencers are believed to have popularized it, but they got the dance first from Jalea Harmon, who was 14 years old and black, and she got no credit. Um, your colleague Matt Taylor Lorenz wrote a piece about this what, a week ago, and now she's getting the credit. These influencers have had her on their TikToks to do the dance. She's going on Ellen this week to do the dance, and like she's having a moment. I'm happy for her. I feel like she's earned the moment.
2: Um, it was a really interesting case of, you know, like a young black creator having their work basically stolen. Yeah. Um, and not given credit for it. But in this like very new media viral way. Yeah. yeah. Um, because she had created on this app that I hadn't actually heard of called yeah, Duck Smash, And then it exactly. sort of like migrated onto TikTok.
1: Jalea, I hope you get a check. I really hope you get a check.
2: <laughs> That's right.
1: Uh, final quote. Y'all will definitely know this one. It is... You'll Love, Chapter 14. Who said that? Who's putting the book out soon? John Bolton? Yes. Let's go. Oh, okay. (laughs) John Bolton, former national security advisor, has been plugging this book now for how many months has he been teasing this book? It, it, Feels we're, we're, like on like, we're on like month three of the yeah. John Bolton pre book yeah. tour. Yeah. So he was a big topic of discussion during the impeachment proceedings because a lot of folks wanted him to testify before Congress about what was in the book. He didn't testify, but he did leak a few details of what might be in there. And that was like before the new year. He's still teasing this thing, he's still plugging this thing. I honestly find it annoying. There, there's this new trend of like former D.C. higher-ups teasing their merch. You know, we saw it with James Comey. We saw Sean Spicer had a book. All these guys, once they leave their jobs, want to make me care about the book they're writing. And it just seems a little, at this point, dare I say, tacky.
3: Do we think John Bolton gets a Dancing with the Stars invite
1: now? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Following in the Sean Spicer
3: footsteps? (laughs) I'm not going to unsee that.
1: The Sean Spicer
2: tradition? Yeah. Good for him, I guess.
1: Yeah. Sean Spicer, get that check. John Bolton, get that check. The theme of this episode is the money talks. Eventually, the money <laughs> wins. <laughs> That's it. Speaking of winning, I, is it a tie? I think it's I a think tie.
2: I think we wow. got one and a half points each.
1: I think I got more credit than I deserved on the TikTok you thing. You know, we're nice. That concludes who said that. Congrats to both of you. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They always do. Uh, let's hear it.
2: Hi Sam, this is Rachel from Houston, Texas. The best part of my week was watching my four-year-old son play in the snow for the first time. We went to visit grandparents in Idaho
5: and he loved it.
3: The best part of my week was that after 40 years of foreign service, I turned in my ID badge to begin the next chapter as a full-time visual artist.
0: Best part of my week was that I got to be a backstage wardrobe assistant at Tyler Perry's final Medea farewell tour.
5: My amazing 17-year-old daughter got into her top choice college.
0: My first novel was just released after having cerebral palsy and not knowing if I would ever finish a novel. The best part of my week was on Valentine's Day, having pizza and a bottle of good red wine with my wife after we had closed on the first house that we'd ever bought. That was pretty cool. Hey Sam, this is Mark from Washington, D.C. The best part of my week happened on Friday night, just a moment or so after the worst part of my week, which is when I took a fall on a rental scooter and broke my ankle. Anyway, a stranger came rushing up to me right away, and he picked me up and carried me in the night into his home and talked to me and told me it would be okay while the paramedics came and turned his vanity fair into a splint on my foot. It was insane. And then he rode with me to the hospital and waited with me in the ER so I wouldn't be alone. I didn't just have a good Samaritan. I had the best Samaritan. It was a really good week. Thanks for the show. Thanks for all you do. Thanks, Sam. Love the show. This took me like 10 takes, so I'm glad that one finally worked. (laughs) Love your show. Bye. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Wow. Scooters
1: are bad, but people are good. That was really, really sweet. Thanks to all the listeners you heard from there Mark, Christopher, Derek, Anik, Ricky, Cynthia, and Rachel. Really, really good stuff this week. Also, please send photos of backstage at the final Medea show. I grew up watching Medea when Medea was still a uh, character in stage plays. Um, beautiful, beautiful stuff Listeners, you can share the best part of your week with me at any point throughout any week Just record the sound of your voice on your phone And email that voice file to me at samsanders at npr.org samsanders at npr.org Thank y'all for being here Rosie Gray, reporter at BuzzFeed, covering media and politics And Matt Flagenheimer, reporter at the New York Times, covering national politics Thank you both so much Thank you I Thank you, Sam it. So much fun yeah. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, Danny Hensel, and Janae West. Our fearless editor is Kitty Isley. She had help this week from Steve Nelson. Our superhero intern is Hafsa Fatima. And our big boss is NPR's VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.
0: Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP. Always designing for people.